Hello and thank you so much for listening in. This is Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. The podcast made in conjunction with the amazing team at Endometriosis Australia, who I am an ambassador for. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs, and in this episode, I'm going to introduce you to the Endometriosis Australia amazing director. Her name is Marie Davenport, and she has got such an impressive resume, including a former MP. She was the youngest woman elected to Parliament of Victoria, age 28, the first to have a baby while serving in Parliament. An in- incredible career when it comes to Parliament. She also is Managing Director of Government and Corporate Advisory Network. She's a strategic advisor. She specialises in gender equality, and we are purely blessed to have her as the director of endometriosis australia because she has seen firsthand how debilitating this illness is with her daughter this is an incredible chat there is so much to take out of this so just sit back relax and meet the director of endometriosis australia the wonderful marie davenport thank you so much for coming on Hi, how are you, Ellie? Hello, good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And from the outset, I want to say thank you so much for all you do to raise awareness of endometriosis and Endometriosis Australia. Oh, well, thank you very much. And we are so excited here at Endometriosis Australia because you are our new director. And this is correct. Massive news. Congratulations on the role. Thank you very much. Now, as director... What does that exactly mean you're going to be doing for Endo Australia? Yep. So as a company director, uh, you you have a number of responsibilities relating to uh, governance to ensure that the organisation runs uh, effectively, efficiently, but also complies with all of the laws that are relevant. And that gives people that donate to Endometriosis Australia the confidence that the money that they raise or give the organisation is used for specific purposes under the constitution and that all conflicts of interest are declared and there's, you know, basically what you see is what you get and that's really important for confidence, I feel. Absolutely, because there are some charities out there which, well, they're not above board and they don't do the right things and you might make a donation, it might not go to the right areas. So it's important having someone like you who's able to control all of this. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, with with my passion for this subject and, and mm. um, the issue uh, as well, I bring to the table qualifications in uh, Australian Institute of Company Directors course and I'm certified by the Governance Institute of Australia as well. You have got an impressive resume. We'll be touching on your endo journey a little bit later on, but you have come from Parliament. You were, was it the youngest woman elected yes. to the Parliament of Victoria? You were 28 years old. What an absolute honour. Yeah, I nearly was elected four years before that at 24, wow. but I lost by uh, 36 votes. Oh. So, <laughs> so I, um, I also had my, I was the first um, mum to have babies while serving. Um, and that's, you know, more common now and mm. certainly there's a lot more support. There was no maternity leave, obviously, um, back then. Uh, it was a very male-dominated environment. It still is, but it, it, very male-dominated, mm. very few women. Um, I think it was uh, about 10% overall across Australia. And at the time I was elected, we had so many um, really fabulous, strong women elected uh, um, to the parliament, state and federal. And 
then it's um, it's been a long journey really around community expectations and respect for women uh, in their roles. Mm. But uh, but yes, I had um, a, a, an eighteen month old. Uh, when I was elected to Parliament and I was pre-selected when he was just an infant. And then I had my daughter, Brianna, um, who was born while I was an MP and she was early, quite prim, and it was um, challenging. But in retrospect, you know, when, you, when you're living through it, you just plough on, don't you? Mm, you really um, do. It so, makes you, you know, so resilient. You just kind of go, well, it is what it is and I'm going to do what I have to do to keep going. Exactly, exactly. So I've um, I've continued to be interested in and advocate for women and gender equality. So I've just finished a master's um, in uh, leadership, which focused specifically on gender equality and what we're doing to progress women in masculinised industries. And I'm also on the board of Trades Women Australia, which is a tremendous organisation um, aiming to get girls at school interested in doing STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, maths subjects, that traditionally they feel or schools have told them that uh, they're not up to or they shouldn't be interested in. Mm. And uh, and with so many fabulous infrastructure projects going on across Australia, it is only fair that girls and women have the opportunities to get those jobs in those industries that are changing the landscape of Australia. And that gives them financial security. And, of course, all work gives um, women not just financial security, but um, that independence that they need. So whatever, as you say, life throws at you, you can get up and keep going. It is fantastic to see times changing when it does come to gender equality. I mean, we've got so far to go, but things are slowly changing. And you touch on the subjects at school. Gosh, I remember when I was at school, went to an all-girls Catholic school, and Mm, there was a textiles you know, class that you go to. And all I wanted to do was woodwork and metalwork. And, you know, the stuff where you get your hands dirty and the brother school, well, they were allowed to do it. Oh, but oh, no, no, the girls' school must go and do their textiles course because that's what women are supposed to do. You're supposed to sew clothes. Mm. No, not anymore. Girls want to get their hands dirty. They want to be getting out there and working in those trades and doing things like this. It, It is so important that stereotyping from, you know, a young age, but also, you know, it's the re-education of the career advisors and just changing the culture. And often it's very well-meaning men who are trying to do what they see as protecting their daughters or sisters or mothers from going into an environment that they know um, is challenging from a cultural perspective around respect for women. Mm. Well, you know, now it's time to step up and change the system. It's not about fixing women. But I, I similarly went to an all-girl Catholic school. I've got uh, four brothers and one sister. And I was raised in, in I'm very blessed to be raised in an environment where my mum was a, you know, we had, she's a massive feminist. Um, you know, I was born in 1968, so I'm old. I'm mid-50s. But she um, she went through that whole, as a Catholic mother of six, um, that whole um, women's lib thing. We had women's mm. lib posters in the in the in the kitchen and, um, you know, inspirational quotes all over the house and things like that because it wasn't just about empowering me as a girl or becoming a woman. It was also about how to respect women um, being being influenced into my 
brothers and my dad is the biggest feminist as well and always um supported us so my my sister is uh she her first um job well her first role after school was a traineeship and then apprenticeship herself and dad dad was an army person mm-hmm. uh, army officer and then he became a TAFE teacher um and uh really you know, did push for women's inclusion. So I'm very blessed in that regard. I'm very blessed to have, you know, received the support of um, my peers in the Liberal Party to be pre-selected and elected to the parliament. That's the greatest honour. But through that kind of role uh, and also with board roles, you get to influence the future. Mm. And that is incredibly important to me. And times are changing too when it comes to uh, equality and medical conditions because uh, endometriosis now, uh, gosh, many moons ago, I know know even when my mum was going through it. So she was a nurse and she was reading this book and endometriosis back then was described as a woman's disease that will only affect nurses or something really specific around it and you know she read that at the time going well that's just ridiculous and you know she'd be going to try and get these answers from doctors and stuff like that and there was that whole perception of well it's just women's business and you'll just put up with it and that's period pain but but now because there's more awareness around what endometriosis is and you know we're talking about the female body is changing and and I often think that and you probably maybe agree with me Marie if endometriosis was a condition which affected men as well things would probably be different. If it affected only men, there probably would be a cure and it would just be a different world. Oh, look, it is, you know, I mean, happily married, beautiful man. Oh, yeah, love my husband too. We all know about the man (laughs) flu. And my son, you know, who's now a father of two himself, I put in the same category. But, you know, women, women suffer uh, not just with endometriosis, but with all sorts of other sort of pelvic pain, and we're much more um, much more um, likely to have things like fibromyalgia and other pain disorders, uh, autoimmune diseases, and so forth. But yes, I, I absolutely agree that sadly there's not been historically the attention on endometriosis uh, as there should be, and the prevalence is really now becoming more known. So one in every nine girls and women is affected by this life-defining disease and it impacts every aspect of that woman's Mm. life. You know, it's with the pain, the heavy menstrual bleeding. And, you know, for some women that's every week, sometimes every day. Infertility is common. You know, it, it impacts their intimate relationships, their work, their participation in sport, uh, it causes fatigue and mental challenges as well because you're dealing with that heavy burden of pain. Mm-hmm. And one third of those with endo will have trouble falling pregnant and might require fertility specialists to, you know, have a family or expand a family. And sadly, uh, I spoke at an event for Hudson Institute of Medical Research last week and two of the um, women I know that were going to attend were not able to because of their endo. One is 22 and she was an intern for me, Liz, and she went off and had um, had a doctor's visit after I said, look, I feel that you have what are very, very familiar symptoms to me 
having experience with my daughter. And she uh, has now um, started the journey of mm-hmm. finding a treatment and, and so forth. We also had um, another wonderful um, woman, um, Eleanor, who's 33 years old and she couldn't come because she was recovering from a hysterectomy. Mm. So it's life defining in every Mm. single way. And what many women take for granted, um, which is, you know, if you want to have children, you have the opportunity to do so. And we know that science is also caught up for many, many women, um, it's, you know, almost age-defying some of the celebrities that have children as well. Mm. But it can be an enormous challenge and it can also lead to a higher prevalence of pregnancy loss. Mm. So, you know, it's it's really important that um, organisations like, you know, particularly endometriosis um, uh, are there to advocate for the 11.4% of women in Australia, that's about 830,000 across the country that suffer from this extraordinarily um, painful, disruptive, life-defining disease. And Marie, I believe that that statistic will just grow in the future as those women and those assigned female at birth go to the doctors and as more awareness is being raised. It is a hard one to diagnose because you've got to have surgery to be officially given the uh, the diagnosis of endometriosis. But I, I think that that stat of one in nine will potentially grow in future. It is wonderful having you as Director of Endometriosis Australia because you've seen firsthand how debilitating this illness can be. I don't suffer from it at all, personally. My daughter has had symptoms since she was 10 years old. And um, despite my knowledge of the health system, um, having you know the opportunity to afford private health insurance, get you know p- professional specialist advice, and the individuals I knew in the gynecological area, I still couldn't get answers for my baby girl who was having you know heavy periods from ten years old, and I remember going to a, an emergency department with her and being told, "Oh, look, it's probably appendicitis." I said, well, I've had appendicitis and that doesn't lead to bleeding from there. And it was incredibly difficult. The average time for diagnosis is six and a half years. And as you say, most women or girls are diagnosed, you know, they have to have surgery. And when you've got a young girl and you can't get a definitive answer as a mum, I felt incredibly powerless. Mm. So we became involved with Endometriosis Australia, which is turning 10, incidentally, in um, uh, next year. We have, Brianna and I, both benefited enormously from the comfort that Endometriosis Australia has provided, as well as the empirical information that you can trust. And, you know, things like the pelvic yoga and the the advice on you know everything from from diet to treatment to you know your mental health mm. that has meant an enormous amount to Brianna and I. She's endured so many operations and challenges um, while symptomatic through school. You know, playing sports. She's a great athlete, and she you know, and as an endo sufferer yourself, you understand this. And our listeners, she was a fabulous swimmer. It did not deter her from swimming or doing water polo or being a swimming instructor. So, you know, the more I learn about the condition and how it um, physically affects all women, 
I just take my hat off to my daughter. She She's my hero because I've seen her in awful pain. Mm. I've seen her with terrible bleeding. And, you know, as a young girl, you know, you get your, your formal dress or your Deb dress and then you're bloated yeah. that day for no good reason at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and I remember one time we were watching water polo and she's in the first team and big APS final and she's just gone underwater. And she was just all of a sudden got, the, the pain was that intense. She literally went underwater. Yeah, into the so, position just um, trying to stop it, the poor thing. Yeah, and look, and through all this she has soldiered on and I um, have the utmost respect for all girls and women with this disease who have to get up and plough through it and be resilient. Uh, you know, their, their definition of resilient is very different to those of, you know, normal women with a normal period or people who get headaches or cramps you know it, it is terribly physically demanding and exhausting carrying around that pain and having to look normal mm. and the fact that you are not showing an outward illness or disability so my daughter's now become a nurse she's in ED at Monash um, Hospital in Melbourne which is one of the largest public hospitals yeah. And uh, she initially, her dream in life was to become an architect. And she actually started that course and switched to nursing uh, because of her own experience and her wanting to advocate for and care for other girls and women like her. She's since, I think, year 11 or 12, been with Daniel, who's a paramedic, um, and they've just welcomed at my third grandchild. His name is Oliver. Oh, wonderful. And... He's seven weeks old, but he had a really bumpy start and Brianna had a terribly challenging pregnancy all because of endo. Mm. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that a third of women with endo can struggle with fertility. At 25, she was told, look, if you don't start soon, you might not have the opportunity to be a mother if that's what you want to be. There's so many similarities between my story and Brianna's. It's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, there's so many. It's so, there are so many similar stories. And, you know, Ella, you're you're a hero as well. I mean, we call them endo warriors for a reason. When Oliver was delivered, she ended up in um, intensive care and he ended up in neonatal intensive care through complications with the birth. So we're very blessed that uh, both seem to be doing um, incredibly well. And then, of course, you know, Brianna's now at the stage where, you know, now the endo is going to come back, mum. You know, what, how am I going to manage it this time? And for, for women who need infertility treatment or IVF, you know, all this treatment around endometriosis is effectively the same treatment for um, or the you know same drugs and devices um, that you use for um, contraception mm. because it interrupts the hormones. Correct. So if you are going to have IVF or something, you have to be removed from the treatment that is helping to control your pain and your symptoms. That's incredibly challenging for women as well. Yeah. And for those then that you know have no choice but to um, have uh, a, a hysterectomy 
at a young age. You know, that's utterly heartbreaking. And we do need to look more at surrogacy laws yes. in Australia, oh, I believe. Yes, please, Marie. I looked into the surrogacy process because, unfortunately, um, I couldn't fall pe- pregnant naturally. Um, IVF didn't work for me either, and my body just wasn't capable of it. And I'm a happy fur mum now, so how good are dogs? Um, but we looked into surrogacy. Oh mm. my gosh, it was such a stressful and emotional process. We we found a beautiful couple that wanted to help us out. You've got to go and get legal um, help, which is not cheap. You've then got to go through and do the IVF cycles. You've got to do counselling, all of these different sessions, which I understand the counselling side of things because it is a big thing to have someone else's baby and et cetera, et cetera. And just all of these different rules in Australia. And then we also looked in going into going overseas. We were looking at um, potentially going to the Ukraine, which mm. now just, you know, crazy to think we're looking at Georgia. I know you can go to Spain. There's America if you've got a lot of money. But it's just a different process in Australia compared with the rest of the world when it comes to sur- surrogacy. And it just needs to be made easier here because there's yeah, so well, look, many it is people with IVF but, oh, as well yeah yeah look I, I was involved with the with the formulation of you know laws and different amendments for regulating IVF and infertility treatment and it really is important from an ethical um, perspective to protect life um, mm. and and um, and protect mental health and ensure that people aren't taken advantage of when they're vulnerable as well but it is it is difficult um, so you know uh, it, it is time we we did look at that and um, for someone like my daughter who grew up wanting she wanted of all cars she wanted a Tarago that she could have <laughs> her seven kids in oh so cute and, <laughs> Um, she's always just been that maternal and I, you know, I love my kids and I think I'm a pretty good mum, but I'm not, I'm not that mum, you know, (laughs) I might be nurturing, but if you look at my CV, it's not like I've raised them or anything really. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had a busy career and, um, so, you know, she is just absolutely, I'm incredibly proud of her because it was, you know, a difficult start, but to, uh, while she was separated from him and I was helping to keep her milk in and everything to mm. give him the best start and she was very committed to feeding herself, um, they're, they're thriving now. But when, when you talk about costs, so we're talking about the cost of, you know, um, yeah, potentially looking at surrogacy, obviously the, the cost for IVF is enormous. But in addition to that, just the incidental costs of endometriosis to a sufferer, let's talk, we'll start talking first about the cost of the health system. Oh, yes. According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, in 2017, there were 34,200 endometriosis-related hospitalisations in Australia. So that's one in six in every thousand hospitalisations were for otherwise healthy women, Mm. right, from age from 15 up. Uh, it's reported to, to cost more than $7.7 billion in healthcare, and that includes absenteeism and lost social and economic participation. That's um, figures that came through with the National Action Plan for Endometriosis that Endometriosis Australia was absolutely instrumental in establishing. Um, and in Australia, endometriosis is associated with people taking time off from work um, and other um, significant reductions in productivity. So the, the cost of the illness burden um, is about two-thirds due to productivity loss. 
but one third, $2.5 billion, is attributed directly to healthcare costs to individual sufferers. So we've worked out that's around $30,000 per year per that's sufferer. So much. That's $30,000. You know, that's almost half of someone's salary going towards well, taking and this is post living. tax, right? Yeah. So, and as you know, if you don't have private health insurance, you know, and you're you're subject to the public health system, and particularly, you know, through what we've seen in COVID and the demand on on primary health or any health. So, you know, you look at specialist costs, that's two to $400 per appointment. Then you've got the cost of surgery. You've got GP out-of-pocket costs, which can be about 50 bucks, right? You've got ultrasounds, MRIs, although that in the, um, in the government announced package under the package that was announced by the um, Minister for Health, Greg Hunt, uh, previous Minister for Health, uh, which is now being, um, being administered by the new government, um, MRIs will be subsidised. There's the cost of pain and other medications. And then a lot of women, um, I don't know whether you have, but, you know, vitamins and herbal remedies and yoga and acupuncture and things like that really help, that mm -hmm. um, complementary medicine. Um, but then you've also got the cost of, you know, TENS machines, if that works for you, private health insurance um, and, and all of those um, other costs. Plus, if you're in a job where you don't have leave or you're in the casualised workforce, a lot of women um, don't have a steady income and they don't get paid if they can't go to work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know how difficult it's been for many women I've worked with. And you know what? When I went out in July and said, you know, I'm joining the Board of Endo Australia um, on LinkedIn, all these women I thought I knew really well reached out to me and said, you know, I've had endo. I've always had endo. My mum has it too, my sister. This is how it's impacted me. I had a hysterectomy. People that I knew didn't have kids and didn't know why. Yes. It's incredible how far this goes. Uh -huh. So, you know, there's so much more we need to learn and do, and that's why Endometriosis Australia it raises funds through everything from selling little yellow cupcakes to our Endo March events. So we've got them coming up in March. I'll I'll go through that with you a little later if you'd like. Yes. But Endometriosis Australia works with clinicians and GPs, hospitals and medical research institutes. And we support research into the treatment of the disease as well as managing symptoms. And we have, we're the largest non-government provider of funding for research in endometriosis. And for example, we call for applications uh, for research grants last year, expressions of interest. We received 25 research submissions with a combined total requested budget of over $900,000. Wow. So, you know, that's a lot of cupcakes. Absolutely. And, that and, is a huge you know, amount of and, cupcakes. And, and they're they're baking now. That's correct. So, and that's, that's the, the, and they're all absolutely fabulous uh, research programs from fabulous institutions and universities uh, and passionate um individual researchers, some of whom are PhD students or master's students 
including our lovely Donna, who founded Endometriosis Australia 10 years ago. She's doing a master's looking at endometriosis in the workplace. So, you know, this is why we raise funds. It's around having a website that is more user-friendly. So we need to do that. We need to raise money to do that so that sufferers can access quickly empirical information that you can trust, that is reliable, that where we have our clinical advisory committee able to, um, you know, put up papers and advice and the newest research and, um, and also importantly, call for endo sufferers to come and be part of the solution to be part of the research projects. You might have a bit of, you know, fatigue around, you know, doing surveys and and speaking to researchers, but it is so incredibly important because it's through that data that, as you say, in future, you think that there'll be more women identifying or being identified or diagnosed with endometriosis. Mm. You know, we don't have the capacity to identify the extent of the problem to be able to demonstrate the need for funding and support to government without the endo sufferers taking the time to speak honestly and openly about the impact on their lives, how long it took them to be diagnosed, how many um, procedures that they've had to have, what works for them, Mm. have they tried that or the other all of these things and also developing up some of these complementary medicines so they're more mainstream and accepted. So we need to do more work around that. So that's, you know, and we also are raising funds for these research projects. So we're doing a grant um, this year, which will be um, announced in November. Uh, We have some tremendous uh, applications with the Endometriosis Australia Research Grant. And that's valued at 170000 All of the funds that we raise go into the Endometriosis Australia Research Grant Program. And both individuals and organisations can submit an application that's under consideration from the Research Committee, which is nine members selected from the Endometriosis Australia Clinical Advisory Committee. We've done a couple of amazing projects um, in recent times. One is with the Robertson Institute from the University of Adelaide, their Imagendo project, exploring using artificial evidence so that uh, there's quicker and more cost-effective diagnosis of endo using ultrasound and MRI. The Endo at Work project is being conducted through University of, uh, sorry, Western Sydney University, University of Technology Sydney and Southern Cross University in developing an endometriosis in the workplace policy for Australian employers. And that's so important to ensure that workplaces are less challenging for sufferers and that in industries that require travel or being on building sites or on filming location, you know, for entertainers even, and particularly in the health and aged care sectors where you've got a predominant number of women and teachers, that, you know, you have the care and support you need for the breaks the toilet breaks. I mean, with with the, the work I've done in the building industry, and I chaired the building advisory council for the Victorian government for about eight years. Even having women's toilets on building sites is still a struggle. I mean, really, Never thought we're about in twenty twenty two. Yeah. Let alone having you know having um, sanitary bins and things that are available to women, and um, so you know. This particular study found that one in six 
people with endometriosis will lose their employment due to managing the disease. Mm. Um, one in three have. will be over for a promotion. Mm. 70% have to take unpaid leave to manage their symptoms. And 50% said a lack of workforce flexibility was a significant problem. And what importantly this found was that particularly for, you know, listeners in Victoria, which has the distinction of being the world record holder for lockdowns um, and uh, and other states as well, is that um, the work from home protocols made an enormous difference where um, 90% of, of the participants in the survey said that flexibility in hours and working from home could improve their management of endo in the workplace and that's based on their experience working from home. Wow well Marie as you you've explained there is so much going on in the world of endometriosis Australia and behind the scenes and raising money for research is super important so if you can donate endometriosisaustralia.org it is the place to go um, and you know look at hosting a high tea bake those yellow cupcakes we might get you on for another episode to talk about what is planned for march um and the big 10th birthday celebrations next year but marie davenport really appreciate you coming on this podcast today explaining so much about what goes on behind the scenes for endometriosis australia but also for sharing your story with your daughter brianna as well and you know it's just wonderful to to hear the news that she's doing um really well with her bubs and and that you're a grandma again Congratulations. Oh, I love it. Love I it. They do. call me Nan Ree. Thanks oh, so much, Ellie. So <laughs> Nan Ree. Well, Marie Davenport, we will definitely have you on the podcast again to find out what is going on for March next year. It's going to be a big celebration for Endometriosis Australia. Thank you so much for being part of the family as our director. Having just listened to you, I know that you're going to do amazing things for this charity and I cannot wait to work with you and for it to continue to grow. Thanks so much and thank you again for genuinely everything you do, Ellie. You're wonderful. It is such an honour for Endometriosis Australia to have Marie Davenport as our director. She is going to be doing some amazing work for this charity. And as mentioned, it is important that we continue to get donations. So if you can, endometriosisaustralia.org is the place to go to. There is a wealth of information there around this illness as well. And you can also reach out to our team anytime. Maybe you want to come on a podcast. We'd love to chat to you. If you have enjoyed this podcast, Living With Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis, make sure you give it five stars. Leave a comment as well because when you do that, it actually lets other people know that there's a podcast out there about endometriosis and that's what this is all about, creating a conversation for our endo warriors and spreading the word about this illness that affects one in nine. Thank you so much for listening. It's always a pleasure to chat to you and I cannot wait to share more in this podcast for Endometriosis Australia. Take care of yourself.